The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by Harry's Razors. Superior razors ship straight to your door at half the drugstore price. Get $5 off your first order with the code GOLF at harrys.com. We're also brought to you by FanDuel. Now that baseball is back, you can try the fun and competition of daily fantasy risk-free for up to 10 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com, enter the code GOLF. I remember standing behind 12 green right around the 13th tee where the pros go. And I looked back towards the course and I said, this is a piece of land right here that most people in the world will never set foot on. I was on nine green and I had the same putt Spieth had on nine for birdie on Sunday. And I had been standing in the gallery on Sunday watching him and I saw him make that putt and pump his fist and yeah, I didn't make that putt. They told us beforehand they want it to be the best golf experience you've ever had in your life and they do an excellent job doing that. Hello and welcome to the Golf.com podcast. I am your host, Sean Zock, and I am finally getting over my master's hangover. Monday morning was not easy. Two guys I'm sure are still thinking about Augusta National are my fellow co-workers, Josh Burhau and Ryan Aselta. Both of these guys are rightfully still on cloud nine as they won the media lottery last weekend at the Masters and played Augusta National earlier this week, just one day after the tournament ended. That's right, these enviable members of the media teed it up only hours after Danny Willett donned the green jacket on the 18th green. I have them in today to discuss that surreal experience because they sure like talking about it. I found that out this week. Josh and Ryan, welcome. Have you pinched yourselves yet? Uh, not yet, no. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about Augusta National for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. If we forget about it, as soon as people find out that we did play, I mean, they bring it up right away and our stories come out again then, so... Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I know that everyone in the office wants to hear about it. They want to hear your stories. You find out on Saturday at the Masters, I actually knew both of you were playing Augusta National before you guys knew it because I went down and I checked the video board at the press center and I figured it out and I was just laughing because, for one, Ryan, I knew that you were just dying to play this golf course. And two, Josh, I knew that you had hurt your back earlier in the week. So I was just laughing to myself. But um, you're working on your coverage, your own coverage for golf.com on Saturday. Then Sunday, Spieth collapses. Will it wins? It's finally your time to shine. What's going through your head as you're like waking up Monday morning after the nonsense that happened on the back nine Sunday that it's finally your chance to get to Augusta National? I remember waking up, I just had a smile on my face. And I, I knew what the day was ahead. I, I woke up pretty early. I was just a little antsy, I think. And it was just just thinking about the day ahead, thinking of having seen all the holes all week and walking out there, knowing what we were going to get to do and, and, and the places we were going to get to go that so many people hadn't been before. Um, it, it was a surreal morning. And, and seeing my name that day, it, it was funny. I, I heard the announcement. There's two things I was told to do covering my first Masters. Eat a pimento cheese sandwich and make sure you get your name in the lottery. Yeah. So I did both, but when they, uh, they announced that the names were up, I went down to the lobby and looked on that video board, and there were three pages of the video board going. So it was the a little first, bit of a buildup. Big time. So I'm standing there, and the first board has a Ryan on it. It wasn't me. Oh. I'm like, oh, man. Second one had another Ryan on it, and it wasn't me. And I'm like, that's it. How many Ryans are going to be on here? And the third page, I saw my name, and I was shaking. I went up to the woman at the desk. We need to sign our name and, and give our information, tell them we could play. And I said, I, I'm shaking right now. She's like, oh, there's been a few of you that have come up and do that. Oh so it was, it was crazy. I, I think, Josh, you didn't believe me at first. No which, way. Which makes it was made it even more funny to me because I'm walking up and I see you with a bit of an ailing back injury from a, a bit of a 
an intense game of lightning at our own master's house that Sports Illustrated has. But but you're in the middle of uh, the middle of moving day at Augusta National, and then me, generally a jokester, at least when it comes to you, come up and tell you that you're going to play in the, the media lottery. Why didn't you believe me at first? So many reasons why I couldn't <laughs> believe you right away. But uh, our colleague Pete Mann was with you as well. And Pete, I believe, you not so much. But uh, I saw I, I thought I was in it. I, I did think you were telling me the truth, but I had to see it from my own eyes. So I got a couple things done and went down there. And Ryan, you'd probably agree with me here, but I thought what was cool is um, as soon as they announced, like, the, the winners are on the screen downstairs, like, everyone wanted to rush down there and go see if their name was there. But they're kind of like, eh, I don't want to be the first guy, and everyone's yeah. slowly moving. And then when you find out you made it, you look around, and people are, like, slapping each other on the back. And it's almost like I thought it was, like, similar to, like, if you're at the hospital and you rush out to the waiting room. And I don't have kids, but you rush out to the waiting room, you're like, it's a boy. And everyone congratulates you, right. you know, like, oh, so proud of you and stuff. And like, you're playing against all we, Yeah. All we did is, we, you know, put our name in a hat, essentially. Yeah. And, I turned around and, and uh, the same thing, Josh, I was looking for, just looking around and Joe Passoff was right there and he looked at me and he knew my name was up there. I just went over to him. I just gave him a big hug. <laughs> I said, Joe, I'm on the verge of tears here. He goes, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, he's he pretty soft spoken, Joe. Um, yeah, that was, it was wild once you found out. He just when, knows. He knows. When I went down there to check, Ryan was actually there looking, and I think you were taking a picture of the screen, and, you know, we both knew each other we are going to play, and Ryan and I did kind of like an awkward, like, shake, hug, like, <laughs> what do we do? We're really happy, and, but, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and so you fast forward through all of Sunday, and you got other things to worry about. Ryan, you're the host of Golf Live, so you're dealing with – you're actually off-site for a lot of the time at Augusta Country Club hosting the the live show that we run at golf.com. Josh, your staff producing just about every single thing that goes on the website. So you guys all have various ancillary duties that that need that come first, priority number one. But you get to Monday morning and you, you drive down Magnolia Lane. Describe, Ryan, for a little bit just what's going through your mind, how that is, how it is to actually drive down Magnolia Lane that – it's a place that not many people get to go to. No, it was so amazing. And there were, just just to preface this, there were strict rules to us getting there on Monday. So as you said, Sunday, it's the final round of the Masters. We had a lot of work to do. We both had a meeting to get to at 11 a.m. Sunday, mandatory, to get to at the golf course. And they went over all the rules. They gave you your formal invitation that said, here's your tee time. Mine was 11.40. And it said, arrival time, 10.40. And they said, don't show up early. <laughs> because you won't get in. We don't want you here. So I get to Magnolia Lane. My arrival time is 1040. I'm kind of killing time on, on Washington Road <laughs> there. I, I went and got you know I breakfast at Starbucks and uh, I'm driving around. I'm like, it's still too early. I get there. It's 1037. And I pull in. And the sheriff there looks at my card and says, you're a little early, son. Why don't you pull over here? Oh, my gosh. And that nice Georgia accent. And I said, all right. 10.37, a little early, I guess. So he made me sit there for a couple minutes, and then he waved me through. And then going through, it's just I tried to drive as slow as possible. I don't know about you, but Same thing. it's like five miles an hour just going up there. And then it opens up to the circle with the, the yellow <clears throat> flowers of the logo of Augusta National, and they're waiting for you. They know they know you're coming. What do you mean they by know, they? What do you mean by they? <clears throat> they had a bunch of attendants um, from the club waiting there. The head pro was there. Um, welcoming you, take your bag, uh, take your car, tell you, direct you to the champion's locker room. Um, 
it's funny. I hadn't even introduced myself. They knew they knew who we were coming through. Really? I, I don't know if there's some communication from security back to there, but they were ready for us, and they made us feel like you know we were the members for the day. I know they told us that in the meeting. They said, we want you to feel like a member for the day, and we want this to be one of the greatest experiences of your life. Was that the same for you, Josh? Like, how long is Magnolia Lane? Because you, you kind of just see video and pictures of it, and it seems like this really long thing, but it can't be that long. Like, are you driving down it for a while there? It was, uh, I milked it for sure. <laughs> um, I was having trouble figuring out, like, like, do I experience this for myself? Do I, do I Snapchat it? Do I take a video of it? Do I take a picture of it? Like, so many things I wanted to do in that, you know, 20-second span yeah. that, uh, I mean, you're going to have memories for your, the rest of your lifetime, just that short little drive. And then, yeah, like uh, Ryan said, everyone was sitting there, and, I mean, they kind of roll out the red carpet for you. They, they told us beforehand they want it to be the best golf experience you've ever, you've ever had in your life, and they do an excellent job doing that. We went to the Champions locker room then, which uh, media members do not have ac access to during the week. And we have all of our stuff. We share lockers. So do you, do you uh, know who you had? Yeah, you I had, I had uh, Byron Nelson wow. and I believe uh, Bob, Bob Golby, I okay. believe, was yeah. the other team. Yeah. He was a one-time champion. Yep. Uh, and a lot of the Masters champions share lockers too. Mm -hmm. So, But having Byron, they asked, is Byron Nelson okay? I said, of course. He's one of the gr yeah. greats of all time. And it wow. lists the years that he won. Uh, so everyone in our foursome had their stuff in that locker. Um, and everyone got assigned different ones. And, you know, you walk around, and in the locker room, they have framed green jacket. They have the trophy. They have pictures from last year's Masters in a, in a glass case with Spieth, and then a list of the Masters champions. And um, I don't know about you, Josh. What I thought was pretty cool is you walk out. They, the champion's locker room has its own terrace. So you walk out onto the terrace, which is out the front, and you're overlooking now the circle in front of the clubhouse with the, the flower bed, uh, looking back down Magnolia Lane, which was really kind of a cool view, standing up there, knowing that the only yeah, who guys that come there? in here are the champion. I mean, the, the regular competitors in the tournament, they have their own locker room. That's the player's locker room. This is for the champions only. And to be in that room with those names kind of just looking at you was was crazy. I like how they I like how they asked, is Byron Nelson okay? Like, yeah. As, as, if, <laughs> as if no might be an answer. Actually, Josh, no. I'd like Trevor Immelman instead, please. Thank you. <laughs> Josh, who, was, uh, who did you share locker with? Uh, Zach Johnson and Billy Casper. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Uh, ZJ, actually, kind of fitting, I guess, for yourself because coming from Minnesota, you're a Midwest boy. I'm a Midwest boy, and so is Zach Johnson, the guy from Iowa. That's pretty cool. What so so? Do they actually have things? Like, would Zach have stored something in that locker, or is it kind of cleared out? It was cleared out at that point, but I'm I'm sure they might have had some things in there during the week. Yeah, definitely one of the cooler things. Just turning around and seeing the names, I'm sure. There's only so much time that you can spend in there, though, because that you know they make you show up at a, at a certain time, and then you have a, a tea time at a certain time. There's only so much time you can spend. There's only an hour from when you can enter the gate till your tea time. And there's a few things you want to do. They told us there's a few things in the pro shop, in the members pro shop that are only available. They they wheel out the Augusta National um, logoed hats and stuff like that you, that you can't get during Masters week. So they said, if you want to get there, we don't know how long they're going to stay. It's been a long week for the staff in there. They thought they might leave. So you get that. You want to obviously experience the driving range a little bit and yeah. some of the putting green. So it was kind of a quick get everything done. They had food out. I didn't even look at the food. I'm like, no. I'll eat. I'll eat later. No, I need to. I want. I want to get a couple of hats. Get to the range. And you get out to the range. They they shuttle you out there, and 
I don't know how they know who's who, but I walk out there and my clubs are there and my caddy's standing right next to my bag waiting for me. And he introduces himself and sets me up and asks if I have a camera, starts taking pictures of me on the range, and we're off. And then you're just trying to, you know, calm your nerves and maybe put a few good swings on before you tee it up. That's what I was most curious about is how the place looks. Uh, The driving range obviously looks much different on Monday than it would on Sunday or throughout the week that competitors are there. Is it weird seeing that place with so few people there? Because all week we're seeing thousands and thousands of patrons. But, like, Josh, when it, when it comes to seeing the course or at least the surroundings of the course with no one else there, is it kind of odd or is it, does it feel weird? I mean, it was definitely weird. I remember specifically what hole I really thought of that. I'm sure it hit me before, th- before then, but walking down the 14th fairway, I said to one of the guys in my group, I'm like, this is so crazy that no one's here. Like, who? <laughs> how many people get this experience to play this course? And, you know, this this just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I was at the range Sunday uh, early afternoon. So Spieth was putting, DeChambeau was hitting and coming through. And, and the great, they have a huge grandstand at the at the driving range there. That was packed. There was, it was packed around the putting green. The, the autograph area for the kids was packed. So then to be there just... We're, we're talking less than 24 hours later, and there's no one but us and our caddies. It was it was crazy. And yeah, on the course, there's a few moments where you just look and imagine how many people there. I remember looking back from behind 12 green back towards uh, towards the tee box on 12, and then I had stood under the trees in the pine straw watching 12 green 13 tee on Saturday, and I remember. I mean, we were shoulder to shoulder. I, you know, trying to look over people back towards the tee box and the green. And now to look back at those same trees, and there's nothing there. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Before we continue, a quick word about one of the sponsors of Sports Illustrated Podcasts, Harry's Razors. Spring is here, which means we can finally go outside again. Shave yourself. I mean, save yourself from that mountain man tan. You'll thank me later. It's time to ditch the winter scruff and feel the sun on your face with a smooth shave by Harry's Razors. With Harry's, you not only get a close, comfortable shave... You get high-quality German-engineered blades for half the price you're used to. I just began using them last month, and I like them a lot. Uh, Every few days, I need to cut back on the grizzly look, literally. And Harry's razors do that for me, and my sensitive skin appreciates it. Harry's factory direct prices make shaving easy and affordable. They cut out the middleman and ship their products right to your door. Harry's starter set is the best option for new customers and a great deal. For just 15 bucks, you get a razor handle, foaming shave gel, which is very nice, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. Plus, for listeners of this show, Harry's is going to give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code GOLF. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. And make sure you use the code GOLF at checkout to let them know who sent you. And with that, we'll go back to a couple men who could use a shave, Josh Burhow and Ryan Selta. Now, Josh, your tee time was, I believe, 20 minutes ahead of Ryan's. So a couple, a couple groups ahead of him as you're approaching the first tee. There's not a lot of people out there, so you're kind of almost on an island. There's a group of people waiting at the first tee for you. Were you ever more nervous in your life standing above a tee shot than you were on the first tee at Augusta National? I was definitely pretty nervous. Um, and I'm just a nervous guy in general, so that probably that does not help at all. But uh, standing on the tee, I think I was the third to hit in my group, and a couple guys in front of me didn't have probably the best shots. So that actually made me feel a little bit better, like, okay, I got some wiggle room here. But I actually – and our listeners probably don't know this, but Sean all week kept saying, I wish I could see Josh on that first tee. Just <laughs> he wanted so badly to see if I was going to shank it and hit the media center or something like that. And so Sean was my motivation. I hit 
a really good drive on the first hole, probably the best drive I hit in the last hour because I wasn't hitting the ball well in the range. And from there, I uh, hit the green with like, I think it was seven, eight, nine iron, I can't remember, and two putted for par. And I just kept thinking like, I can't wait to tell Sean this. He's gonna, he's not gonna believe me. Nice, <laughs> nerves of steel. Yeah. I, think, I think you need to think about me more often when you're on the golf course. Now, Ryan, how about yourself? Were you pretty nervous on the first, like, who, who's all out there actually watching you? So the head pro was there. Uh, the director of communications for the club was there. Um, and there was a, a bunch of other people. I say there was probably about eight to ten people from the club, all four caddies and us, you know, exchanging, you know, greeting each other, getting our scorecard, and then everyone's just watching you. Yeah. But I went to the tee, and it was weird. I wasn't nervous. My caddy, Tommy said something to me on the range. I've been hitting, I was hitting him okay, but I was getting a little quick and I, I was just jumpy, you know? And he said, uh, he used to uh, be a, a t he used to teach also golf instruction. So he's a caddy now. Um, but he said to me, just think tempo, just think tempo. And he said that on the range and I had a good drive off the range when he said that. I'm like, I just kept telling myself. So I got to that first tee box and I kept telling myself that. And I don't know if thinking about that made me not think about what I was doing and where I was and the people standing right behind me. But I'm, I piped the drive right down the middle, and the guys ahead of me had hit really nice drives too. So it, we were we were all right out there. That must have felt so reassuring. You know what? I, I hit it so well, and I must have kept my head down so well. The ball went up in the air. I couldn't find it in the air. <laughs> oh, that's got to so be I scary. So I stood there thinking, that felt good, but I can't see it. You know, know that we've all had that feeling. And I'm like, and then all of a sudden, a couple people behind me said, oh, nice ball. And I'm like, Oh, thank God, you know, because <laughs> I, mean, I had no idea where it was going, but it went down the middle. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I ended up, I ended, landed the green in two. It was a little, little bit long, left myself 20 feet back down the hill. And these greens, That's I got my first, first taste. taste. Yeah. You're so cautious about the downhill putts because you know how fast they are. And it actually causes you to be too cautious. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me first, probably four or five holes. Really? I hit a, had a bunch of downhill putts. That I was just so tender with them, and, and I left them short, or they broke too much because I hit them too soft, or something like that. I ended up three putting, one of many three putts on the day yeah. for, for a bogey on one. Um, so, one thing that people that hear about the media lottery and hear about media members playing it the day after the competition, one thing that gets lost, I think, is that you're not playing it from the professional tees. Uh, yeah, it's a different golf course in a sense. Then you know what was cool is. A day after the Masters, they left the pins in their Sunday location. So that was awesome. Getting to hit, you know, a lot of your approaches were the same. Because if you think about it, when you, you think about the difference in length from the tee box, mm -hmm. which is corrected by their level of play and our level of play, yeah. probably hitting a lot of the same actual shots into the green. So what the Masters is about 7,500. Yeah, I think um, 74, something like that. So we played just under 64 from the members' tees. Um, which I thought, after thinking back about the round, it's not very long. I mean, there were a few holes that are uphill into mm -hmm. the wind that played a little longer, um, but I had a lot of driver and then a shorter iron into the holes. Um, so overall, yeah, I didn't think it was a really long course at all. I'm glad you brought up the differences between players and uh, professional players and then amateurs like ourselves because there's a, there's – the biggest difference, obviously, is going to be distance and how far we hit each club. But I'm curious because certain holes at Augusta National, year on year, will play easier than others. Obviously, the par fives, but even just certain par fours are going to play easier than others because they're just a more difficult hole in general. 
when you guys look at the front nine specifically, what would you think would be the most difficult hole uh, playing from the members' tees? From the members' tees? I thought, um, like you said, yeah, two was a fairly easy hole because it plays downhill. It's a great par five, but because of the downhill and it's a par five, it's it's accessible. Four was a tough par three from, from either is. tee box. Yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's a long iron in to um, kind of a tricky protected green. Uh, I'm just tracing back some of the holes in my head right now. I think the approach on seven is is a tough one. It's uphill. Yeah. Bunkers all over the place. Um, but yeah, I would probably say, I would say four, Josh. What do you think? Four was a tough little par three there. I would probably agree with four, especially where they put that pin. It was right behind that bunker um, on the right side of the mm-hmm. green on Sunday, uh, which we played again on Monday. I think two... Um, Two is so downhill. Like my my drive went into the bunker, fairway bunker. From there, I just hit a wedge out, but it's still you're going to get a little bit of roll, and I was still had a shot in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for my third shot. And it's, I mean, the greens, the, the bunkers around the greens, that's really the tricky part. But yeah, like you said earlier, distance wise, uh, I mean, it's definitely gettable for amateur golfers. Looking at eight too, even though eight was a par five, I remember our tee box was a good i mean almost 100 yards ahead of the pros i watched a bunch of tee shots from eight during the week and i remember those guys yeah they collect in that little area down at the bottom of the hill before going upwards again right and and some of the guys were just along those bunkers on the right side Mm -hmm. so it plays uphill from there and then what's tough about eight is you know you set yourself up for a third shot no one was really getting home in two on that hole playing uphill yeah but the third shot in you don't realize how narrow the green is at eight it's very very skinny it's long Mm -hmm. and skinny so those guys are used to really, you know, being so precise with their their approach shots. But guys like us who are just, hey, we landed the green, we're happy about that. But then you look and you've got, you know, thirty five feet back downhill with three different breaks in your putt, and you're saying to yourself, how am I going to make a two putt from back here? Yeah. So you you don't realize that until you're standing there. And I looked, I'm like, wow, look at this green. This is so narrow and so long. And there's a grandstand that directly during at least during the event. There's a grandstand right behind that green. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Now are those grandstands still up there on Monday? Okay. Yeah, all the grandstands were up. The only thing that were down were the ropes. They took those all down, um, and you could see the areas where the the patrons had been. It's matted yeah. down a little more brown, but all the actual you know large standing grandstands were all there, which is cool. Kind of making an approach shot with the backdrop of the grandstand. You don't you don't get that in many places. Did it feel, Josh? Did it feel like you were playing the course that Jordan Spieth had played not more than fifteen hours prior? You had to kind of remind yourself that sometimes because I think you, it's easy to forget that, like, what happened here the day earlier. Like, especially on the 18th green, uh, as I was walking up to it, I just kept thinking, like, yesterday at this time, you know, thousands of people sitting around this. And right now it's just there were eight, ten other people I could see, you know, in my line of sight. Right. So I stood on – I was on nine green, and I had the same putt. Um, it was for par because I had been on the back <laughs> of the green and now I was on my second putt. Same putt Spieth had on nine for birdie on Sunday. And I had been standing in the gallery on Sunday watching him and I saw him make that putt and pump his fist. And that's when I was getting ready to go back to our, our uh, set to do our show afterwards. And I said to myself, that's it. This, this tournament's over. It's four in a row. He's got a five-shot lead. He's cruising right now. So I stood over that same exact putt, and I thought to myself, "This is he hit this putt. I remember looking out at the gallery. And, um, 
yeah, I didn't make that putt. No. <laughs> I left it uh, another downhill putt where I actually left short because I was so scared of it. But it's amazing to think that he made that putt in that situation from there, and it was no problem for him. Before we continue, a quick word about another sponsor of Sports Illustrated Podcast, FanDuel. Baseball season is underway, and it's time to get in the game. My Brewers have started 3-4, and four, which is actually quite respectable considering their predictions earlier this year. Compared to Josh's Minnesota Twins, who are still winless, regardless of his team's struggles, Josh, just like you, can be more than a fan with FanDuel. Run your own team on FanDuel because it's the most fun you can have as a baseball fan. FanDuel isn't just for the stat experts, the nerds who crunch numbers. FanDuel is for the everyday fan. From casual players to diehards, set up a friendly league with your pals or play to win cash among fans from across the globe. Entry fees start at just $1, and there's no season-long commitment. Play for one day or for the rest of the season, playoffs included. But wait, here's the best part. FanDuel is going to give new players their first game risk-free. Just go to FanDuel.com and enter the code GOLF, that's G-O-L-F. Then enter a FanDuel league or start one with your friends. Like I said, if you don't win any prize in your first contest, you get that $10 right back to your FanDuel account for more play. That's FanDuel.com with my code GOLF, G-O-L-F, for a risk-free tournament at up to $10. My apologies, Josh, for that rag on your Minnesota Twins, but they got to win a game sooner or later. Let's get back to your day at Augusta. Before we get to the back nine, let's talk about uh, the greens because everyone knows that Augusta National employs some pretty incredible greens. Many people call them diabolical. I know that Jake Nichols called them that uh, many times on the, the preview podcast for the Masters. But so they have the Sunday pins, same same that the players played on Monday. But they did not cut the greens. Is that correct? They did not. My caddy told me they did not cut or roll the greens. I don't on, think there uh, was Monday anything morning. left to cut or roll. Yeah, I mean but that's were, how tight they were. And they were still the fastest greens I've ever played in my life. I haven't played, you know, a ton of courses at that caliber. But I played. You played Oakmont. I played Oakmont a few months ago and uh, uh, Harbor Town, uh, or this site of this week's tournament. Um, later or last year so i mean they were fast they were scary they were so fast so so much undulation um i had a putt early on in the the front nine where i turned to my caddy i said tommy what do you think i got this about uh 18 inches two feet outside right uh right to left he goes no it's three feet outside left to right what i said what i'm like i don't see that at all he goes it's gonna go here it's gonna go here it's gonna come back all right, Tommy. I'm one of those guys, when I have a caddy who knows what they're doing, I kind of put it on autopilot and let him tell me what to do. Sure enough, I put it where he told me, and it, it came right back to where he said it would. So if I didn't have a caddy, I don't know if you think this, Josh, I, I would add probably 10 to 12 strokes on oh. top of what I what I shot. Easy. I don't think you can you can't go to that course having not played it and then not have a caddy. Like they, my first, uh, the first, instance for me was when my caddy really helped out was on the second hole I was behind the green um, so that was for my par and he told me to put it up here way kind of above the hole and then have it work down and mm. I'm like okay that doesn't look like it's to me it's over here but I'm not gonna I'm gonna do whatever he tells me to do and it worked its way I mean it was I mean it looked like you were at like a mini golf like how it was like bending and turning yeah. and all the way to the hole and I ended up having like a tap in. It was one of my better putts of the day, so I tapped in for bogey there. But at that, after that, I was kind of like, whatever you want to tell me, I'm going to do it. Yeah, do- I think the tee balls, you're okay on your own because it's it's fairly right in front of you off the tee on most of the holes. But your approach shots, they tell you exactly what, you know, aim for that TV tower in the background or aim for the left side of the grandstand. And then the putting, obviously, where is where they 
they helped us so much. It, goes to, it just goes to show exactly how important and how uh, just Augusta National knowledge is for the caddies, not only for you guys to enjoy your experience and shoot as well as you can, but also for the people that are playing in the competition. It gives credence to the fact that Adam Scott has uh, Stevie Williams come back and caddy for mm-hmm. him at the Masters, and it goes to show just how well Michael Greller can help Jordan Spieth in certain situations on the greens out there. It's kind of just it gives more fact to that. Yeah, and it's no surprise that there's certain guys that always play well at Augusta for the most part. And Spieth seems to be one of those new guys now that he puts the time in and the preparation, and he's so you know meticulous about the, the notes that he has about Augusta that it's no surprise he does well there because it's the type of course where you need to prepare, you need to know exactly where to go. More importantly, you need to know where you need to stay away from. Yep. And those guys, year after year, depending on where it doesn't really matter where their game is coming in, a lot of them, they always tend to play well at Augusta because they, they know the course so well. Speaking of Jordan Speed, let's move to the back nine, amen corner. As you guys are approaching those holes and you get to 12, very daunting tee shot, regardless of what tees you're playing from. Are you thinking about Jordan Spieth in that moment? Are you thinking about what went down just, I don't know, 21 hours prior? I think pretty much every media member who was playing the course on Monday, they when they were watching Sunday, I think they all said, okay, I'm beating Spieth on 12. <laughs> I mean, that was my goal. That was everyone thought they could do it, and that would be Spieth is going to be such a big storyline. I think everyone wanted to beat him on that hole so they could tell people. So... You take that out, and it's still just such a memorable hole. So many huge Masters moments have taken place there, and it's one of the top, you know, what, five holes in all of golf? I mean, depending on who you ask, but it's such just a memorable hole. And, and th- our, our tee box there was closer than um, closer to the professional tees than any other hole, I think. Really? It, it, was, it was virtually the same, actually, so where what? we teed off yeah, from. Yeah, it's a small tee box. I think we were... We weren't far off from where I want to say my guy told me it was about 155 or so to the pin, which was kind of right in between for me, um, club-wise. Between a, I, I can get an 8 there. That's usually what I can get an 8 to. But in my mind was, don't be Jordan. I don't want to leave this short, hit that hill that Jordan hit, and roll into the water. So I took out my cat. He's like, all right, then take more. And I took out a 7, and I hit my best iron shot of the day. It was right at the flag. And same pin position, you know, that right side flew right at the flag, just flew over the flag, landed mm-hmm. the back of the green and rolled into the, um, there's a little swell back there of grass. So it wasn't in, in bad shape by any means, but Spieth's shot on Sunday definitely played a role in the club that I chose because I did not want to do what he did. And there was a guy in my group that hit almost the exact same spot he did, rolled right down into the water. Oh, you're just, the thing that you're describing from your perspective is really cool to me just because... Uh, I didn't win the lottery, so we almost, um, at least people here at Sports Illustrated with ourselves, we we lived it through you guys and how you <laughs> experienced the course. And if we keep going to enough Masters, one day we hope that we will play the lottery or, and, and win the lottery. Now, Ryan, moving on, as we get closer and closer to the end of your round at Augusta National, you told me that you hit the shot of your life somewhere on the back nine there. Yeah, I had uh, on 15. I, you know, you, you're playing out there, and I'm like, let me just have one memorable hole that I played really well that I can take with me. I just want one. So on 15, um, the par five, I hit my pretty good drive up the right side in the just the first cut of rough. I was right next to a tree kind of, and uh, the pin on 15 was back right. So I didn't really have a direct look at it. Um, 
and I had about 227 out. And I said to Tommy, I said, Tommy, I think I can get this there. And he goes, well, you're not here to lay up at Augusta National. I said, you know what? You're right, Tommy. So I took out my hybrid. And it, I knew I was going to have to, you know, it'd have to cut a little bit to get over by the right side of the uh, the green. And I just hit the heck out of the ball. The best shot I've hit all day. I even talked to it a little bit. I said, oh, Tommy, that is good. It flew. I mean, it was right at the pin. It came around to the right, right at the pin, ended 15 feet short, right below the hole, sitting there in two. And I walked over the, the bridge on the left. Is that the... Saracen Bridge on the left? Right. So I walked over the Saracen Bridge, nice and slow, soaked it in, went and marked my ball. I had 15 feet for eagle. I burned the edge on my putt and left me a tap-in birdie. So there was my hole. Yeah. I got to take that home with me, knowing that I birdied a par five, which is such a fun hole to watch those approach shots coming in during the Masters. Yeah, that's your moment. Now, uh, before I let you guys go, you finished your round. You had played 18 holes at Augusta National. Probably had not pinched yourself yet in that moment, just loving life. Um, now that it's over with and you're driving down Magnolia Lane in the wrong direction, Josh, what? how are you going to remember this? How does it? How is it going to stick with you? I think, first of all, just how lucky we are. I mean, we got to go to the course and cover the Masters for a week, and millions of people on earth think just that alone is cool. And then we got to play the course that – I mean, what, probably one of the most difficult tee times in the world. Um, Easily. Yeah. So it was a once in a lifetime experience. And just so people know, we have to wait seven years now. Is that seven, right? Seven years out of the lottery. Yeah. Once you win, you have to wait. You can't even enter for seven years. So uh, maybe we'll get a shot again. But I was talking to my future father-in-law uh, the next day and I told him, yeah, I kind of blew up on 17, had... You know, was hoping to finish a little better. And he said, do you realize that some professional golfers don't even get to play that course that you guys just played? And that kind of helped put it in perspective for me. Yeah, I mean, it's the most exclusive golf club probably in the world. And there were spots out there that I think back now that I remember standing behind 12 green right around the 13th tee where the pros go and kind of almost hide a little bit back there. And I looked back towards the course and I said, this is a piece of land right here that most people in the world will never set foot on. And how, how many places in the world can you actually say that? The only people that get to get there, the patrons never come close to that area. It's just the, the tour pros that are playing and the members, and that's it. And we got to do that. We got to walk those grounds and walk in the locker room and, and go down Magnolia Lane. Um, yeah, it was, it was the most special golf experience of my life, one of the greatest days overall in my life. I, I remember on 18... What I thought about it afterwards was kind of cool is I had eight feet left on 18, and I hit the putt. It was like the only putt I hit all day, but I holed out on 18, which I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. If there was one hole to, to finally drain a putt on, 18, and at, as I hit the putt, one of the guys playing with me goes, is it his time? <laughs> and he, he called it. He called the iconic Jim Nance call as it was going in the hole, and, and I felt like Mickelson out there that draining is- that putt. So. Such great memories. So thankful to Augusta National for doing this for the media. We've covered many golf events, all of us. I've covered so many different big sporting events. And this type of treatment, this type of, I guess, experience or reward for our our work for the week, that doesn't happen in other sports, other organizations, other uh, teams and and whatnot. So this this was so unique and so special. Bottom line, very, very cool. Well, there you have it, folks. That is what it is like to approach Augusta National just one day, not even a single day, 
mere hours after the players, the pros do at Augusta National at the Masters. Josh Burrow and Ryan Aselta, thank you guys for your help and breakdown of that special day. I'm jealous, uh, that is for sure. Thank you to everyone else for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Let me know what you think of the show by tweeting me at Sean underscore Zock. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Or at golf.com at golf underscore com. That's G-O-L-F underscore com. I will respond. I promise you that. Now that the Masters is over, it is on to the RBC Heritage down in South Carolina. Until next week, I'm your host, Sean Zock.